If you brought a Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we are at. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, uh, 2 Kings is kind of to the front quarter of your Bible, directly after 1 Kings. It's not helpful. I understand that. Uh, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Should have got some sermon notes on your way in. If you need one of those, you can raise up a hand or something like that. We'll be happy to bring it around to you. You can follow along there as well. If you're a guest with us, thanks for being here today. We are continuing in this conversation uh, of talks that we started on April 1st, Easter morning, called Flip the Switch. And basically the premise for this entire series is that I kind of feel like as we look at our lives, it's a little bit like a breaker box. You all have seen a fuse panel in your house before that different switches control different areas and rooms. And if you flip one off, it controls the power to that room. But as I was studying and preparing for Easter, it occurred to me that when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that he kind of came to turn off the dark. And he is the main power source to that fuse panel, that breaker box. And so we chatted a little bit about that. And then last week we talked about the uh, idea that, that there's a switch to, to some lies that we all believe. Uh, I titled that message, Don't Trust the Carrot, because a carrot is a lie. And you'll have to check that online if if you want to understand that a little bit more. But uh, this morning I titled my message of boots and britches. We're going to talk about boots and britches today. Hopefully that will make more sense in a second. Let's read 2 Kings chapter 5. That's the big number 5. You need the little number 1. It says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take you to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. Anytime Laura says, you have too many clothes, I say, babe, it's biblical. (laughs) Ten sets back then is like 10,000 today. I mean, they only had one. Dude's getting ten. I'll keep going. (laughs) The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that uh, the king had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why so serious? Calm down. Send Naaman to me. I'll show him that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. But Elijah sent an intern out to meet him with this message. 
Go, wash yourself sometimes in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry. He stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of these rivers here in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away in a rage, but his officers tried to reason with him, said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Let's pray. God, again, we're so thankful for your word. We believe in his truth. Help us today as we try and learn from it. Do everything that you can only do. Save souls, change lives. Uh, Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm assuming you all have heard the phrase, somebody's getting too big for their boots, or maybe you've been told you're getting too big for your britches. Uh, It's rumored that Davy Crockett is actually the one who coined the phrase. Uh, Here's the quote. Uh, I myself was one of the first to fire a gun under Andrew Jackson. I helped give him all his glory. I liked him well once, but when a man gets too big for his britches, I say goodbye. Now, I don't really know who got too big for their britches first, because David Crockett is like, I helped Andrew Jackson. I did all of these things. That sounds pretty arrogant to me. But then he says, when a man gets too big for his britches, I say, peace out. Sometimes you are what you despise the most. But no matter, the point is, sometimes people think too highly of themselves. Now, today we don't really use that idiom very much. We don't say people are too big for their britches. We say they're narcissistic. Uh, that's the term that we use. Or we say they think too highly of themselves. They only think of themselves. They're conceited. They're so selfish. A while back, uh, Lana and I were watching Beauty and the Beast, which don't judge me. I didn't say I liked it. I said we were watching it. I have a daughter who's a princess, and that's what we do, okay? So uh, there's a character within the Beauty and the Beast. His name is Gaston, and he sings an interesting line. He's a textbook example of the syndrome of too big for your britches. He uh, sings, as a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. As you see, I've got biceps to spare. I'm especially good at expectorating, and every last inch of me is covered in hair. It was a different time, okay? If we saw that today, we'd be like, that is gross, Chewbacca. You need to wax that mug off. I cannot stand. It's disgusting. But what was not different from then until now is Gaston's attitude. I don't think you can argue from a point of credibility that even though human beings are less hairy, we are also less vain, 
consider these statistics. For the past four decades, researchers have been assessing both narcissism and empathy within college students. They developed a questionnaire in the late 70s. It's called the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, or NPI, if you took it when you uh, entered into college. But 70% of students today score higher on narcissism and lower on empathy than did the average student 40 years ago. This is what the researchers wrote about that. When achievement is defined as getting the best grades in school, getting into the best college, winning individual sporting competitions and the like, then the focus of thought is on the self and others are seen as obstacles or as people you must defeat or as people you must manipulate to serve your ends. If the purpose of a child's life is to build a strong resume, as many parents seem to believe, then of course the child is going to grow up looking out for number one and not have much time or concern for others. They conclude that basically what happened is back in the 70s, stupid people thought the problem in the world was that the world had low self-esteem. People didn't love themselves and they needed to learn how to love themselves, which we all know that that's never been the problem. We love ourselves too much. Uh, Just to prove my point, if I took a picture of all of you right now and posted it up on the screen behind me. I was really trying to figure a way I could do that today, but I I couldn't figure it out. Uh, But if I put that, who's the first person you would look for? Yourself. Yeah. And if you looked good, then the entire picture was a great picture. But if everybody else looked good, not you, then it's a horrible picture, pastor. We need to take that picture over again. It's because you love you. I love me. It's all the same. That's why the Bible says the second greatest commandment, aside from love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. The second one's like it. You need to love your neighbor as yourself because loving yourself is an obvious thing. It's a fact. We do that. We love ourselves. But in the 70s, stupid people in leadership, all this emphasis and money spent on reimagining yourself and you've got to love you and it didn't turn out so well. One expert wrote, the problem is many parents and teachers began telling their children how beautiful, smart, and generally wonderful they are. They began bragging about their kids to others in front of them. Television programs for kids featured songs about being special and had lessons to the effect of, you can be anything you want to be. In competitions, everyone got some kind of trophy, and the result is nobody believes anyone but them is special. If you don't believe me, watch auditions for X Factor or American Idol. You'll get countless people on there with no ability whatsoever. They are completely oblivious to it. When a judge has the audacity to say, I I don't think this is what you ought to do with your life. Of course, they get upset. They start throwing things at the judges. A poll was recently done of 18 to 25-year-olds. They were asked, what is your goal in life? Do you know what the number one goal was? Getting rich. That's the number one goal of this generation's life. 40% of them said they should be promoted every two years regardless of performance. It's called a sense of entitlement. It's a very problematic thing in the country right now. I don't have to work hard or be resourceful. Everything should be given to me on a silver platter because I'm so wonderful. It's the message we're all taught. 51% said their goal was to be famous. Only 30% said their goal is to help people who needed help. And 10% of kids, 18 to 25, said their goal was to be more spiritual. 
These are people with their priorities out of whack. Your number one goal should unapologetically be to learn to know God and figure out His plan and purpose for your life. If you chase after fame and fortune, you're going to end up like every other person who has done that before you. But don't take my word for it, LeVar Burton reading Rainbow. Let's remind ourselves what the Bible says. Kids, you can Google that later. It's pretty amazing. Uh, We got this story about a guy named Naaman. Naaman is legit. He's the commander of a world-renowned army. Let that sink in. The entire world knows who Naaman is. If Naaman showed up to your village, you would be deathly afraid. You would run and hide. You would do whatever you could to help appease the anger of this commander. Syria is such a great uh, power back then. We still have a country called Syria today. But Naaman is what so many people long for today, to be rich, famous, powerful. But the Bible says he had leprosy. I like how the NIV translation puts it. It says, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. I want to focus just for a few moments, if we could, on that word, but. But he had leprosy. Here's what I know about buts. Everyone has one, and everybody in here has learned how to cover it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, uh, of course, I'm not talking about the butt you're sitting on. I'm saying you've learned how to do what Naaman learned how to do and employ the ability to conceal your deficiencies. Naaman was covering externally the thing that was eating away at him internally so he could continue doing the thing that earned him respect outwardly. I believe that some folks here are listening are doing the same thing. And what we're going to learn today is that if you don't get control of what's happening on the inside, you can't keep winning victories on the outside. I think there's a number of folks here who have learned to defeat everybody else's armies and win their battles, and yet on the inside they're losing their own. And what we need to do in the next few moments together is figure out how to flip a switch on this thing called pride. You say, oh, pastor, I don't have a problem with that. Okay, well, uh, who gave Naaman his victory? It's in verse 1. You guys remember that? It says, the Lord gave Naaman his victory and, and made this king of Aram a very wealthy man because of what Naaman did. So it wasn't Naaman, yet I'm guessing that Naaman had a little bit of talent in that regard. I'm guessing people told him how good of uh, swordsman he was. I'm guessing people complimented on uh, him on how he moved and, and how he could see the battle play out before his eyes. I'm guessing people told him how anointed he was and strong and courageous he was. People have probably complimented you in some way as well. Said, you're so good looking, you're a hard worker, you do well in school, you do well in sports, you've got fun friends, you've got a nice car, I love your house. See, most people's issue is they're good enough at something, so they don't trust God with it. Meanwhile, they're being destroyed because this is just another version of pride. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Naaman wanted his skin clean. God wanted his pride gone. Naaman wanted his skin clean, but 
but God wanted his pride gone. Imagine with me just for a moment how Naaman, as he's strapping on his armor one day, might have seen a little red spot that he had never seen before. He probably thought nothing of it. The next day he saw four or five more spots. That's curious, he wonders. He starts running back, playing in his mind. What has happened? Where has he been? Where, why would these spots have shown up? Was there some poison ivy somewhere? As I was maiming and destroying villages, did I stumble into something that I was allergic to? I have a friend of mine who's allergic to grass. He like can't mow his lawn or anything. And to me, that always sounded like an amazing ex- an excuse, right? I mean, I, I wish I would have thought of that when my kids asked me that, to, to play soccer. Like, ooh, allergic to grass, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It worked with the cat, you know, like allergic to the cat, we can't get a cat. So grass, that could have been a good deal. But <laughs> Naaman takes some Allegra, still notice a spot spreading on his arms and legs. He thinks, what's happening to me? So he goes to his doctor, he gets a checkup, he asks, what's wrong? He's given the news that no man of this century ever wanted to hear. His doctor says, General Naaman, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no easy way for me to tell you this, but you have leprosy. That's the equivalent of you going to the doctor today and them telling you, I regret to inform you that you have MLS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Not only are you going to die a slow, painful death, but it's going to be horrible. There's no cure. Today, leprosy has another name. It's called Hansen's disease. It's treatable. In recent years, there's a lot of research that's been done because it was once thought if you had leprosy, your limbs would just fall off. But they have proven that the disfigurement associated with leprosy actually has nothing to do with that. It's solely based on the fact that your body's warning system for pain is destroyed. In other words, you could wash your face with scalding hot water and you'd burn yourself and disfigure yourself. You'd have no idea because you can't feel pain. You could cut your finger off. You could severely burn your foot. You would have no idea. You don't feel the pain. In third world countries, vermin like rats, I'm going to be a little graphic as our kids in here, earmuffs, uh, they would uh, nibble on, on sleeping lepers and, and lepers would wake up and they'd be missing fingers or toes because rats have chewed it off over the night. So the idea is the, the leprosy didn't disfigure you. You disfigured you. You had no idea it was happening. So here is Naaman with all his power, all his fame, all his fortune as he sits on the white butcher paper in the doctor's office. All he hears is, those things don't matter. You're going to die. You're a dead man. As he got home with the news, tried to cope with it, I imagined him walking out on his beautiful balcony in his home, overlooking the town and, uh, and thinking of all his accomplishments, all the, the battles that he had won. I imagined him looking down on the country of Syria and thinking to himself, I did that. I made this country beautiful and peaceful because of my winnings in war and now what i'm going to die alone disfigured in my bed i'm guessing we all know people this has happened to everything is going well their health is great they have a lot of money in the bank then they get that call from the doctor that says we're a little concerned about some of these tests we'd like to have you come in and talk about your options maybe that's happened to you 
Or maybe it has nothing to do with health. It has something to do with something else catastrophic that happened in your life. There was that accident that happened unexpectedly. There was that relationship you were betrayed in. There was that bout of anxiety or depression. It's your equivalent of, but, but he had leprosy. As I was preparing this message, I noticed there's a a fairly significant, interesting parallel between leprosy and what the Bible says our problem is, and that's sin. There's some interesting similarities between leprosy and sin. First of all, leprosy starts small. Leprosy often began with a small, bright, bright red scab. It spread to your entire body until you died. Sin is the same way. It starts small it eventually kills you. People don't think of the long-term consequences of sin, that little indiscretion, that brief moment of carelessness. Sometimes the full effect of what you have done doesn't hit you until later in life. But sin never starts big. It always starts small, something you can rationalize until you're eventually doing something that you never thought you would do. Secondly, leprosy was inherited. If a mom was a leper and gave birth to a child, the child would be born leprous. In the same way, we're all born as sinners. You might not like that, but we don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's natural. We were not had to be taught any of that. I've never had to sit down with my kids and say, all right, Lana, I want you to punch your brother in the head and then take his candy. Never had to tell her that. Yet that happened in my house this week. Where did she learn that if I haven't taught her that? It's natural. It's, she's crazy. That's where that came from. Okay? Uh, it's in all of us. We have an innate desire to say, mine. I want what I want when I want it. It's in all of us. Thirdly, leprosy spreads quickly. Same's true with sin. Spreads quick. Where it's been, it literally deadens everything in its path. The Bible tells us we're often blind to it and handicapped by it. Can't see it in ourselves. Barring God turning off the dark and illuminating this sin in your life, none of us tend to notice it ourselves. Now, the reason I point that out is because like Naaman, pride and self-sufficiency is likely growing in every one of our hearts. It's the reason for every one of your bad decisions. I know what's going to make me happy. And the good news for all of us is God can heal that leprous thinking, but sometimes God will give you an answer to your prayer from a place you've been overlooking, like a slave girl. Naaman wasn't expecting to get a healing answer from his prayer from this little girl. And God doesn't need to know if you're big enough to give a command. He wants to know if you're humble enough to follow one. That's why the news of the cure had to come from the slave girl. Unlikeliest of places. This girl, who he had captured on a raid, gave to his wife as an anniversary present, had somehow heard of the prophet, the great man of God, Elisha. I don't know if he uh, like posted on Instagram and she followed him, all the, the miracles that he had done. I doubt it. But she knew... That was a joke. I won't use it again, I promise. Uh, check that off. She knew if Naaman could just meet Elisha, he could be healed. The question I have is why did she want him healed? I mean, she was abducted by this guy. Wouldn't you want your captor dead? Wouldn't you want your kidnapper to suffer with this debilitating disease where you die a slow, painful death? 
Not her. She says, if only my master would meet the prophet. I wonder if God's trying to tell you to be that little girl for somebody. They need God in their life. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to show the love of Christ to? Your boss, your relative, your spouse, a former friend? I don't know. I also wonder if this isn't an illustration about how we need somebody in our life who can spot our disease. What Naaman's soldiers could never see, because he always covered it up with his armor and they weren't living with him, a little slave girl noticed. My point is, you need people in your life who can see what's under your armor. You need people in your life who knows what's happening. Somebody say, that's good, Pastor. Yeah, that's why I'm so passionate about you getting in a small group because you need people who knows what's under your armor and and understand where you're doing life incorrectly and has the audacity to say that, hey, you need to to change some of your decision-making. But in a moment of desperation, Naaman says to the girl, tell me where to go. I'll do anything. Now, put yourself in the scene. Uh, imagine seeing this whole thing transpire. Naaman is a great man. He's expecting a great healing, something dramatic, something immediate. By the way, he's willing to pay for it. He has roughly $3 million in gold and silver. That's crazy. He's about to drop $3 million on this prophet Elisha if he can heal him of his leprosy. I bet with that kind of cheddar, he was rolling in some nice chariots, you know what I'm saying? Like exotic skinned animals and ivory and tusks of elephants who knows they're pulled by the finest arabian stallions they would have galloped in in a cloud of dust his bodyguards suited and booted would have stepped out of the chariot armor glistening might have started to cough a little because of the dust and like brushed themselves off but no matter here is elijah's house a single wide on the edge of town, broken down porch out front, probably a family of raccoons living underneath the aluminum skirt. Address is all twisted up because the nail's loose and you can't even, is that six or nine? Nobody knows. (laughs) They pound on the door. There's a great man here, prophet. Naaman wants to see you. Love this story because Elisha didn't even come to the door. I don't love it because if it was me, I would not want to be treated that way, but I love what it represents because God's not impressed by wealth and power. You got nothing to bring to him that he hasn't seen before. But Elisha doesn't move from his afternoon coffee, sends out his boy, Jeheezy, to to, look it up. All right, it's his name, okay? Uh, Might be pronounced a little wrong, but whatever. He opens the door. He's nervous. Jeheezy's just a little guy. He's an intern. He's like, looks out and sees these guys. Hey, cool sword. Uh, a little nervous here. But the prophet says to go down to the Jordan River, immerse yourself seven times. You will be healed. God bless. Have a nice day. The door shuts. The bodyguards are looking at Naaman. Naaman's like, who is What? Who's that kid? Uh, they dump, pound again. Where's the prophet? Nobody sees the prophet, not no way, not no how. Seven times bathed in the Jordan River, no, no fewer, no less. Good day. Look at Naaman's response. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of his Lord as God and heal me. See, Naaman didn't want a miracle. He wanted a magic trick. And that's the problem with a lot of our thinking. Write this down. When you're too big for your boots, there's no room for God. 
and you're too big for your boots, there's no room for God. Here's my question to you. How many times have your presuppositions about God kept you from getting the response He wanted to give you? God was ready to heal Naaman. Just wasn't the way Naaman thought it would happen. You can't let your suggestions cause you to miss out on God's salvation. He wants to do something in your life. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, those five words, I thought he would certainly. I thought he would certainly. I thought, well, there's your first problem, right? You shouldn't think, because Isaiah reminds us that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. But here we go thinking God will do things our way. You realize that God has never one time asked, how do you want me to do this? Like, sure, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? But he didn't follow that up with, and how do you want me to do it? It's funny because as I was going through the process of building a house, I learned that at no point does the builder have to submit their plans to the building. And yet here we are with God saying, well, you should probably do it this way. God, I'm 35 years old. I got a pretty good understanding of what's going on in my life. Uh, I would expect you to follow it my way. But I thought he would certainly. I thought certainly my salary would be higher by now. I thought certainly we'd be more intimate in our marriage. I thought certainly this job would be more rewarding. I thought certainly school would be easier. I thought certainly I'd have more free time. I thought certainly these kids would behave more frequently. I thought certainly. All frustration is born out of unmet expectation. You have an expectation, it's not met, and now you're frustrated. We have expectations for how God should do stuff, but God doesn't need our permission for His purposes. When it comes to our leprosy, our sin, no matter what we have done, God can forgive us if we make room for Him to forgive our sin. The solution for Naaman was to go down to the Jordan River, peel off his armor, and dunk himself seven times. The solution for us is to trust that Jesus already went to the river for us. Figuratively and literally, he went to the Jordan River and and was baptized, but he also went to the cross. He paid the penalty that was due you so you wouldn't have to. Jesus is our answer. But if you're too big for your britches, you'll never allow Jesus room into your life. Which here's the hardest part of all this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. God's healing offer is offensive. God's healing offer is offensive. His healing solution, His gospel, His grace, His Son, Jesus. In the eyes of a proud leper, it's offensive. Look at Naaman. I think we would agree that going in and out of a river river seven times is relatively simple. It might not have been physically easy, but it was certainly simple. And the simplicity of the cure offended him. It can't be that easy. Wave your hand, cast a spell. I'm not going to take a bath. That's too simple. As he walks away in a huff, one of his guys comes up and says, Master, if the prophet would have asked you to do some great thing, Rescue a princess, slay some dragons, eat some mushrooms, and travel around in a pipe. Never mind. Would you... Let's not even hear. I mean, I don't even know why I said that. Would you have not done 
what he asked you to do? Why not try this simple thing? Because it wasn't just the simplicity. Also know the freeness of the cure offends him. Naaman, like us, wants to make God our partner in salvation. He, we want him to say, I'll do you some favors. You do me some favors. Hey, God, I'm going to keep all the rules. And then what I need you to do is give me some rewards. Remember what Naaman brings. He brings a royal letter. In other words, he's saying, well, this God and this prophet will be very impressed by the people I know. I'm sure some of you know some very impressive people. He also brings a ton of treasure. He thinks this God and this prophet will have to cure me when I show them how much that I can enrich them. I mean, I can buy this prophet anything he wants. A temple. How about ten temples? You know, a TV show. I can buy the entire network. You want a book deal? Done. But when Elisha says, I don't want your money, I just want you to wash in my river, the simplicity of it is offensive because the freeness is insulting. Why? You know what Naaman is insulted about? Any idiot can do that. Any moron can go down to the river, and if they can count to seven, they can be healed without money, without military prowess, without goodness, without morality. Get this. They can have it. Which means I'm not special. But that's all I've ever been told, Pastor, how special I am. The reason he's insulted is that he perceives the principle that Paul would go on to articulate a number of years later in Romans 3.23 where he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What the Bible teaches and what Naaman is hearing is when it comes to the cure of God, there is no difference between the most upstanding citizen and the most hardened criminal. We're all in the same emergency room. See, there's really two kinds of pride. There's a religious pride where you say, look at all I've done. I'm better than most people. God owes me. And then there's a a religious pride where you say, nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me how to live my life. I can make up my own mind. Yet both kinds of pride end up the same way. We are trying to be our own Lord and you end up being swallowed up by spiritual leprosy. Also notice this about this whole healing incident and Naaman. The exclusivity of the cure was offensive. See, Naaman says, why not any river? What's so special about your dirty Jordan River? Don't I have rivers much cleaner than this back home, the Abana and the Farpar? He's saying, that's awfully narrow-minded, Elisha. I mean, if that's the way it has to be done, just wash, why not wash anywhere? My rivers are way better than this. Modern people are just as offended by the exclusivity of God's message. There's supposed to be many paths to God. We should all be able to go to any river. Why? Why do we have to come to God through Jesus? Just keep the rules. Try hard. Be a good person. Listen to me as we close. God's biggest question for you isn't, can you succeed? It's, will you surrender? It's not, hey, can you do all these things that I've outlined? It's, no, I've already done everything that you need to do. Can you humble yourself enough to submit to me? 
That's God's gospel message. It's a very simple message. God loves you. He wants to live with you, but there's sin separating you from Him. And your sin has to be paid for. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so you earn death by sinning. God knew you could never foot that bill. You would die alone apart from God. So He sent His Son freely to pay the penalty for you. And the only thing you have to do is trust in Him. This is an exclusive club reserved for those who will confess Jesus as Lord. It's only for people who will humble themselves and say, God, I need You. I can't do it on my own. Help me. It's in Christ alone that salvation happens. Look, your life can change today. You don't have to be a leper. But will you humble yourself enough to submit to God? C.S. Lewis said, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I would encourage you all, find a way to think about somebody else. That's the message of Jesus. Love God with your whole heart. Love people as yourself. Love God, love people. That's what you need to do. I don't know what that looks like for you. I want to give you practical steps in almost every area of your life, and I just don't know what your next step needs to be. Here's what I do know it needs to be above anything else. It needs to humble yourself before God and say, God, where do you want to lead me? How can I take one step closer to you? Is it my giving, my small group? Uh, can I find you know somebody else can i serve somewhere in my job in my work in my school i mean where where god do you want me is humbling yourself enough to say god i need your help to figure this out but then i also know that some of you need to humble yourself before god for the very first time and say cleanse me of my leprosy the sin that's in my life and so with every head bowed and every eye closed i want to pray for both groups of people this morning. If you're here today and you've never humbled yourself before God and never said, God, I'm sorry, I want to be forgiven. I want this cure that the pastor talked about. Give it to me. If that's you this morning, I want you to, in your heart, just pray a prayer with me. Not because there's magic in the prayer, but because God said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. It's a simple message, but it's not going to be easy. So let me pray with you. Say in your heart, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I realize I've tried to live life my own way. But I believe your way is better. I believe in your son Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And because of that, I can be made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. God, I thank you for that new life. I thank you for all the lives represented here. These are not just numbers, God. These are names. You know their name. You know their story. I just ask you to fill them up with your Holy Spirit. Help encourage them today. Help them understand that we all have some spots of leprosy somewhere in our lives and we need some help navigating those waters. Help us strip our armor off, God. We're humbling ourselves before you. 
fix what's gone wrong in our lives. Heal us of our disease. Help us figure out what our next steps need to be. God, I'm praying for marriages in this room right now. I'm praying for finances. I'm praying for parents. I'm praying for students. I'm praying for all the hardship that they're going to be navigated and and pushed upon them. And I'm just asking for spiritual courage for them to stand up in their world and say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. And Christ alone is where we find our help, God. And we're asking for Him right now to send His Holy Spirit in a powerful way to bless everyone in this room. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. We all said, Amen.